0: Hi there, and thanks for joining us. It might very well be the height of August, but there is no rest here on Red Business, and we have a veritable smorgasbord for you on this podcast. There's the modern marketing man, the IT whiz, and the expert on getting women back into the workplace through flexible hours. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business
1: Podcast with Compubee. Building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompuB.com.
0: Marketing is a particularly busy business and sometimes quite a dirty business as well. But my next guest has been someone who's been practicing that dark art for many years. So much so that he has now set up a very successful company that is just celebrating its second birthday. Pat Kieran's of Dejeo. You're very welcome to Red Business. Well said, Jonathan. Most people usually ask for help in
1: how do I say this or how do I pronounce it. So, well done in getting it right first time.
0: Now, the thing is, with a marketing company, you should always get your name right and an easy name for people to remember.
1: Why did you go for De Geo? Again, well done again, Jonathan. <laughs> um, I, look, one of the things we, I, I think we excel at as, as an agency is uh, brand creation. Uh, creating new brands, part of which is generating new names and we apply all sorts of interesting creative techniques and consultancy processes and so on and rules. It's fair to say with ourselves we broke all of those or applied none of those um, and I took a very personal sort of approach to it. So very quickly I have three children uh, Dylan, Jamie, and Holly. Ah, you
0: see, now
1: sense. Uh, it makes But it still breaks all of the rules. Um, so I took the first two initials of each of their first names, put them together, found that the URL in all guises were available. And um, it was a bit intriguing and different, and instinctively it felt right. But as I say, we don't build client brands in that sort of um, simple way. we were a bit more considered than that.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, your background... You're a Corkman, you studied in CIT. Uh, you worked with Bulmers for a while.
1: I did. I had uh, a wonderful, I think nearly seven years with Bulmers in Clonmel um, and got to manage that brand at a time when it was beginning beginning to transform from a positioning standpoint where it had historically been perceived as a very cheap um, uh, a brand that attracted in the words of publicans, the wrong type of consumer. Um, So, And the task given to me was to reposition Bulmers to make it a brand that was a lot more aspirational, a lot more uh, welcome in uh, pubs and clubs and so on. And it was wonderful. I I think it's one of the last great examples of an Irish company really having the courage to put its money where its mouth is and invest in the brand and allowing the brand and the company to be marketing-led. Irish industry traditionally is very much led by finance, um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But when transformation is required, you really do need to allow the company to be marketing-led. And the managing director at the time, Brendan McGuinness and Bulmers was himself a former marketing director, so he brought that philosophy to the company, and we had a hugely successful time in terms of building the brands, sales. But more importantly, for me, it's reputation and, and so on.
0: But how did you do that? And this is the marketing question. I mean, you had a, a, a product which, as you said at the time, was a little rough around the edges. How did you smooth it out to making it the number one selling cider? Well,
1: I, I think like all great brands, we had to consider every aspect of it. And so that went right through from minor changes to the packaging. So evolving the logo to have softer imagery, for, for example. Um, But importantly then, I think finding uh, areas where conceptions of the brand were particularly poor um, and challenging those and being seen to engage in activities that were very much counter to what people would expect. So, for example, we undertook a sponsorship of the Golfing Union of Ireland, which overnight meant that something like a quarter of a million golfers in the country now had a Bulmers-branded card in their wallets. And that gave us... um, the beginning of an acceptance in that sort of uh, part of society which was never going to drive huge volumes of sales but was a key driver in terms of changing people's perception of, of the brand and the product and so on. Other um, sponsorships also played a role. We also invested very heavily in brand advertising. You know one of my frustrations as a marketer now is that the the, the growth in digital marketing and advertising has spawned what I sort of refer to often as marketing technicians you know people who know every nook and cranny of the technology behind all of the various media or digital channels out there and that's very important but that doesn't make the marketing people um, so from Bulmer's point of view we invested heavily in brand advertising that wasn't looking for a call to action that wasn't looking to immediately generate sales the following day or whatever else but was over time um built to change perception amongst a large audience out there. So that's that's a brave strategy for the company to back because it means that you're putting a lot of money in up front in the expectation that over time you're going to get the results. That would be a much more difficult sell for me now if i was in that
0: company well i think wasn't the logo at the time time is on our side in, in making the cider but in terms of marketing time is no longer on your side your your brand can be created and destroyed in the time that a marketing man like yourself would have had a few meetings well
1: it it, it can now i would say one of the best defenses against that is to have constructed the brand um properly in the first instance and that's where i, I passionately believe that Uh, The digital channels, which we as a business use very effectively for our clients, so we manage social media and all sorts of digital marketing for clients. But it's only one facet, in my view, of building and maintaining a brand. So I think the speed with which brands collapse is very much linked to the speed with which they're built. Um, So if you build a brand and build its reputation across uh, a wider array of channels and activities, you have a much more protective layer around that brand if something does go wrong.
0: So let's get
1: the basics right still, isn't it? Get the basics. Uh, We we refer to it as brand architecture, but absolutely it's the basics. It's understanding your consumer intimately. It's understanding what your vision for your brand is. What's your tone of voice in terms of how you speak to them? What sort of experience do we expect to deliver consistently to to our customers, our consumers? And a myriad of all other sort of uh, points of interaction with the brand. It's about paying attention religiously and fervently to all of those.
0: What I love... To, to observe is the brand build, the perfection, the colour. Ju- that yellows just a little bit off. Or could we do something maybe to change the shape of that letter or because it's jarring in my mind. I mean, you, you must feel like you're having the most pedantic, minutiae discussions that frustrate the hell out of you but how important are those
1: those discussions are often hilarious um my, my favorite request uh, at one one point was when a client asked me to look can you just make it more designy um, <laughs> what does that mean what does that mean exactly so I, I think what we did then was just finish that meeting and got back to it separately but the I think it's important for clients, and if clients are listening or prospective clients dealing with creative agencies out there, I, th- I think it's perfectly acceptable to give feedback which isn't maybe what the agency might like to hear in terms of you're not happy with a particular piece of creative, but I think it's equally important that you explain why. Um, so there's always going to be some subjectivity when it's related to visual design, for example, and, and that's okay too, but it's important that in, in a debrief meeting that the we as the the agency that we feel that we have a clear direction or a clear understanding as to why that yellow if it's a yellow is too bright or why that letter isn't quite sitting comfortably with somebody
0: how do you deal with the difficult client the client that comes along and says well i want that yellow and you have to explain to him well if you go with that yellow you're not going to sell your product
1: very gently um and we use our powers of persuasion and But look, ultimately, it has to be said that clients, when they own the businesses, it's ultimately their decision. Uh, we see our task as being one of making sure we always give the best advice. And that advice is always based on good experience and expertise. So generally, uh, generally I think our opinion tends to be the direction that we follow. Um, but there have been occasions, and I have to say, where clients have been proven right in, in hindsight. I think it's important that it's a two-way conversation and that we're both listening. How long have you
0: been doing this now, roughly? Are
1: you in your 30th year of this game? I'm getting close to that probably. I I left Cork in the 80s um, when there was virtually no prospect of starting any kind of career, let alone a marketing career. Um, So I was in my early 20s then. And uh, I started as a marketing assistant with the company that used to make Spam, a brand that most oh, people yeah. will have forgotten. No, that, that, that's a hard sell. <laughs> At the time, it wasn't so much a hard sell because uh, the, the, the recent trends we've seen in terms of people's uh, desires for freshness and food and so on, that hadn't even begun to emerge. Um, but yeah, it, it, it became a hard sell. And
0: The reason I asked the question is that you're going to encounter 19-year-olds, 22-year-olds who think that they will know it all and might have had one or two small victories in in what will be a long career. And you're up against that. And is is that frustrating? Because they have the digital skill set and the idea of, well, let's make this viral and I did this already so I can do it again. How do you combat that? How do you use your experience, Pat, to say, well, there's a better and a different way? Well, the first thing we do
1: with that is embrace it because it's a really important part of what we do. Um, so we have those skills in-house and we apply them every day on behalf of clients. But we insist and we educate the younger members of our team that everything we do has to be based on a strong foundation of a brand. So all strong companies, I think, without exception, believe in the the importance of their brand and the strength of their brand. So we embrace all of those digital techniques fully and we, as I said, deploy them effectively. But we do ask questions before. The video script is written before the infographic is produced before the piece of digital display is created to ensure that this is this is based in the brand that we've created that it's on strategy that it's on message that it is something that we can look back in the long term and still be proud of that it's not just about a short-term fame which is easy to get particularly on social media it's really easy to trend and people get excited about such such and such trending it tends not to mean a whole lot. It's about the sustained, consistent messaging that really makes the difference.
0: Well, we will look on as Dijahoe continues to grow into the future and becomes one of those brands, uh, the, type, the type of brand you have championed in the past. But for now, um, Pat Kearns of Dijahoe, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks, Jonathan.
1: The Red Business Podcast with CompuBee Business, improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuBee.com.
0: Next up on Red Business, we want to talk about a company called Client Solutions and uh, one of the co-founders of that is with me now here in the Republic of Work. Seamus Ivers, how are you?
2: Great. nice to be here today.
0: Tell me a little bit about what Client Solutions does.
2: Client Solutions is a software company that develops custom solutions for clients around Ireland primarily. Um, We do a wide range of services from SAP installations, business analytics, and custom applications. And uh, we have offices in Cork, Dublin, uh, in Spain, and a subcontractor arrangement with a team out in Poland that was an ex-employee who returned to Poland. So tell me, how does it work? I mean, we all have software that runs on
0: our phones and our computers and everything like that, but do you specifically go into companies and say, well, you have Problem X and here's the software to fix it?
2: Well, not necessarily a problem, but... They want to do something new, um, or they want to, in particular, say in analytics. We would provide for Tesco Mobile uh, all the software that does all the analytics on the data that's connected to the Tesco Mobile network.
0: How did you fall into this a thousand years ago?
2: <laughs> a thousand years ago, not quite that old yet. <laughs> but uh, um, how did I fall into? It? Well, I, since I have college, I've always been involved in software. So I was a civil engineer by trade originally, but uh, I never actually. Uh, practiced. You
0: never practiced that particular dark no, art.
2: No, and uh, I wouldn't be across the first bridge I'd build either, for that <laughs> matter. But um, So I got into it uh, in that, and uh, so I've been in software ever since. Uh, started off my own company back when I was 23 in Cork here, and uh, then started off with the current company back in 94, and uh, ran that for a few years, sold it, and then just recently repurchased it.
0: Yeah, tell me about that, because th- that must have been an unusual process, because there you, you, you'd you sold the company, best of
2: luck with that, uh, and you, you bought it back. Now, what made you re-enter the building? Re-enter the building because, first of all, I suppose the opportunity presented itself to do so. Um, secondly, we had built up a great team that was quite stable, that had been with us, even a lot of the senior people are with us over 20 years, and I felt it was kind of an opportunity for them to get some entrepreneurial experience themselves, so it wasn't just a matter of us buying it back, but also them buying it back with us and participating in that, which they hadn't done originally when we founded the company.
0: Well, you gave us an indication of that already by telling us about that you had a, 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 an employee who went back to Poland and now that's, he, he is running the Polish operation for you. Do you believe in that? Do you believe in letting talent come through, not just to be there and be staffed, but to actually benefit from and to grow the company?
2: Big time. I mean, my first company that I set up, there was about fifteen people from that company who went off and built their own businesses and sold them for quite a reasonable sums of money, and like I would be proud of that, uh, you know, in itself. And one of the things I always felt was we had been quite successful, but there was actually very few people who went out of the company and set up their own companies which was a positive in that we retained them but a negative in the sense that they hadn't had the opportunity for uh, growth. We did in Poland we had an employee who wanted to go back he set up he's now 10 people in Poland working with us we have a guy from Spain who went back and set up a team in Spain so he's part of the company now as well We even have people in Australia, a guy in Australia who wanted to go out there with his wife and he's working for us out in Australia.
0: So the product, does it necessarily change when you go to a new market like that? Are the basics still the same?
2: Well, most of it is actually servicing us. So it's not that they're building a large kind of local service organization, but that's one of the plans we would have now. Within the corporate, we really didn't have a remit for that. But as a private company now again, uh, we will be able to do that. And so I would see great growth opportunities for our own employees, uh, to which we have many. Really. Like we have 15 or more countries at the moment in the company uh, from people. And we would see we'd be delighted if people who, who uh, worked well with us, we had built a level of trust with, and wanted to go back to their own country and build uh, an entity out of that, working with us. I think that would be fabulous.
0: You founded the company back in 94. Now, it's always great to explain to young people the concept of the floppy disk because it doesn't make any sense in their head. But we were using floppy disks back in 94. Now everything's in the cloud. Everything is done at a different level. The company will have evolved throughout all of that. But where do you see it going next? I mean, is is the cloud the end or will we find some other way of storing data somewhere else?
2: To us, the cloud you know obviously is an important part of the whole i t sector but in essence the the whole industry has constantly evolved. It's always gone about halfway houses. You know, we started off with mainframes, then we went to an individual laptop, then we went file server. And when we started off, we were originally client solutions who deliver solutions for clients with the client end of client server. And then we realized we weren't marketing people and we shouldn't be using those words, right? Um, but in essence, it's it, the whole IT industry is constantly about evolving and moving and making the best use of resources. For us, as a solution provider, we don't care where the information So it's in the cloud, so what? It's just another place to put stuff. It does open up slightly differences in terms of how you build the solutions, but in reality, they're still solutions that interact with the customer through some device. The device is what we are focused on. We're, we're focused on how you make the thing in your hand work well for a solution for a problem, business problem.
0: Now, presumably, you would have been a little bit ahead of the curve in seeing what people might transition to but back in 94 I have my iPhone here in my hand Mm -hmm. this this was never conceived back in 94 it shows you the speed at which people have moved but now you can target people directly in their pocket and more important you can help them if they have a problem by going straight into their pocket
2: Yeah, and what what it has meant is that effectively the thing you can interact with uh, is now on everybody in everybody's pocket, as you put it. Right? Originally, uh, the lads came along with the laptop, which made it in theory on every desk. Okay, and which was accessible, but now it 's even more ubiquitous, so it 's just once you have that connectivity, then you can build uh, an increasing array of solutions for the business customer or for the end user, whether it 's you know we tend to be deal with kind of businesses who are uh, working with solutions, not so much on the consumer end, um, but that's just the nature of our business. Chavis, I know you're an
0: avid car enthusiast as well, which means that you, you love the old car, the old car where you can actually get your hands dirty and stick your fist in and reconnect a pipe to the bottom of the engine. Modern cars aren't like that anymore. Sometimes moderns not as good as old, but are the basics always the same?
2: Well, coming back to the analogy, I actually have no interest in getting my hands dirty under the bonnet. I I do have theories that, when I retire eventually, that maybe I will. But at the moment, my only interest in cars, I like them as an art form and as what they can do in a performance or whatever else. And so I suppose the, the IT world to me is the same. It's just another thing you're using. And I, I, I admire the beauty in an iPhone and, and the cleanliness of the interface because as a software developer, to me, that's the thing that I like about it. And to me, it's a bit of an art form the same way as a car is an art form. And I, I like anything that looks nice and, and works well. And just because it's old doesn't mean it doesn't work. Seamus Ivers,
0: uh, original co-founder and chairman of Client Solutions. wish you the best of luck and thank you for joining us on Red Business.
2: Thank you very much, Tim. Take care.
0: The Red
1: Business Podcast with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com.
0: On a previous podcast, we spoke with Karen O'Reilly of Employ Mom, whose mission is to get flexible work for the people who want it. Lots of the time, it's women who want to go back to work after having kids, but sometimes men are also fans of having flexible work time. Well, specifically, they had a programme launched called the Back to Work Programme, uh, which is supported by Dupuis Synthes. With me now is Marguerite O'Sullivan, Innovation Engineering Manager at Dupuis Synthes. Marguerite, you're very welcome to Red Business.
3: Thank you, Jonathan. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, Flexible work, good or a bad thing.
0: I know you're going to say it's a good thing, but
3: good or a bad thing? Flexible work, it's a great thing. And I'm delighted to be able to be here to offer a programme from De Pucentes, which is around returning um, women to work. So it's a Reignite programme. So it, what we do is is open up the opportunity for females who've taken career breaks, which there are many of them in our population. Um, and we want to open up the opportunity to be able to help them to come back to work. So
0: Why are you so passionate about this?
3: There's a few reasons, Jonathan. I, I think the, the, the one of the f- main reasons is that we have a talent pool that's out there that is, uh, needs to be um, accessed and professionals who can really help us in our industry. So we're a medical device industry. I work in engineering, science and technology. And one of our biggest challenges is getting really good people to come in and join us. Um, we want to have a diverse workforce because we all know from the studies that we've done that a diverse and inclusive workforce is... Uh, business uh, uh, priority um, in that we get more pr- productivity, more creativity and innovation when we have a diverse and inclusive workforce. And we have to open up, I suppose, the opportunities for women to be able to come back after they're taking some time out of um, the workforce.
0: I've been lucky enough in the last couple of months to have met many, many female engineers to talk about their careers and so on. And and the one thing that comes through is that their passion for the business, their desire to succeed, none of that diminishes when they have kids, but the opportunity does. And... Um, why does that happen, do you think? Is, is it just the traditional glass ceiling that's there? You step out, it's harder to step back in.
3: I think I think one of the challenges is, is that when you're out of, of work, you feel that you've been, I suppose, passed over or you feel that the opportunity has left you, that you're not up to um, the skill base that is presently needed, that you don't have the techno- technical and the corporate language or the buzzwords. That's number one. Number two is that you feel that you're technical knowledge is out of date and number three is that you become I suppose lack of confidence and you feel that you're not able to offer the same that you did in the past and all of that I believe um, isn't true because I think that the work doesn't move that quickly when you're out. So if you take a two year break and um, when you come back in, if what we can offer as, a, as an opportunity is a programme that will help you to make that transition. So you're going to have a transition period of getting up to speed with the technical jargon, getting up to speed with the language that's now used in a corporate industry. You'll also be able to be supported by people who have um, been in the business and will give you mentorship and, and coaching. This will allow you to adjust your own family life so that your work-life balance can be adjusted to incorporate your new work um, time. So you'll be able to, you know, decide what times that is is optimal for you to drop off your kids. So you'll be able to, you know, be able to fit in a work and you'll be more productive once that your company is supporting you in doing that.
0: There are lots of companies now who still insist on the nine to five or the shift has to start here and finish there. Are they almost denying themselves a large chunk of the workforce?
3: Absolutely. I think at J&J we're a family friendly company. So that means that we have we have policies which will help us to be flexible so that you will be able to, we have to be flexible to allow um, for people to to drop off their, their kids at the creche or to be able to pick them up. And it, it you know, being family friendly and having policies to support that will help people to be able to do their work and be able to meet their family commitments equally.
0: When you were talking about the difficulties facing women going back to the workforce, I always think that men are less perfectionist than women. So therefore, even if there's a gap in their knowledge or their skills or their training or whatever, they're more likely to go and throw themselves back into it going, it's grand, I'll catch up, I'll just get in first. Whereas that holds women back. I mean, what is it about the female psyche that they don't allow themselves to take that little bit of a risk that a man wouldn't necessarily see a problem with
3: and i think it it is true that women and there's lots of evidence to show that if a female was going for an interview they want to be 100% confident they can meet all of the but requirements but that's it's an unrealistic
0: expectation and it isn't is it? totally
3: unrealistic and they don't give themselves that chance to be able to i suppose to, to even to put themselves forward to have the confidence to put themselves forward to be able to then um and and usually they will be um, far better at doing the job than men, but they don't take, have the self-belief. And I think some of this programme will be enticing women to take that jump forward, to take up the opportunity to come back into the professional workforce and to be able to train and learn as they go and, and, and be able to be the, the fantastic people that, that they are at their profession. When you look at the statistics, more women do science and STEM in college degrees but there's less of them in the workforce currently and we want to change that. That
0: makes no sense. This particular internship, the Back to Work programme, is it a paid internship?
3: It is indeed. So for the the way this internship is working is that you'll come back to work um, and it's paid for six months and then you have the opportunity for full-time employment after it.
0: So you can hang around. It's not like you're out the door. Thanks thanks for drawing now off with you.
3: Absolutely. There's permanent jobs at the end of this. So what it does do is give you an extended induction period. It gives you time for training and development. It gives you... A, a mentoring programme to support you and it helps you to be able to participate in, in your professional development at the pace that you're able to do at that time and, and recognising that you also have to make that transition from your home life where you're actually going to be going and 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 looking after maybe your children or your parents before and after work and you'll also be able to you know adjust by getting used to what the working life will now bring to your family life.
0: Marguerite Sullivan, Innovation Engineering Manager at Dupree Synthes. Thank you so much for joining us. And how do people find out about this? By the way, is there a website they can visit?
3: Absolutely. We're we're now going to currently launch the, the Reignite program from J and J, and that will be available um, through the Mum. We'll have um, our information for to help us um, to start the candidates um, and their website. Yeah,
0: their website is EmployMum.ie. Marguerite, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. My thanks to Seamus, to Marguerite, and to Pat. Don't forget, you can download Red Business in its entirety from iTunes. Leah Hennessy was the producer, and we'll catch you on the next one.
1: The Red Business Podcast with CompUB Apple technology and solutions
0: for your business. CompUB.com.